And we've been like kind of plodding our way through First Peter um, this summer. And one of the things that we keep coming back to week after week is, is what it means to live as exiles in the world, that we don't belong here, that this is not our home. And Peter, over and over and over again, just never lets us assume that we're going to just we're going to ever be comfortable here, that we should ever just fit in with the world around us. He never glosses over the difficulties of this world and just say, happy should you be in Jesus. Rather, he kind of comes right to us and says, hey, you're exiles. Hey, you're suffering for being a Christian. Welcome to the Christian life. And he never gives us any hope on this side of eternity that things will get better. But instead... He kind of offers us a way forward. He kind of presents us with a way to live in the world as exiles, with Jesus as our king. And over the past several weeks, we saw Peter kind of dress everyone and say, hey, all of you, you need to submit to the rulers and authorities over you. And then he, he talked to different, different people in society. He talks about how slaves should relate to their masters in, in this time. He talks about how husbands and wives should relate to one another and now he's going to kind of open it all up and say how all of us ought to live in this world, in this time. He's going to show us how to live upright in a world that's upside down, how to, how to keep going whenever things are hard. And we're going to discover that if you want to live rightly, you need to follow faithfully. If you want to live rightly, if you want to do the Christian life well, if you want to do life well at all, in fact, if you want to have a good life, you got to follow faithfully. So uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be reading um, verses 8 to 22. 1 Peter 3, 8 to 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, All of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, but his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. 
in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in this text, uh, Peter's going to kind of lay out three things, and I'm going to summarize three things, at least three things, that will help us live upright in an upside-down world. He's going to lay out three things that will help us persevere in this Christian life as exiles. And the first is, the first piece of guidance he gives us is to pursue community. Pursue Community. Now, when you hear community, you might immediately think of that um, TV show. I think it was on NBC a while ago. Or maybe you think about what, what that, that feeling when you walk into a really nice coffee shop and it kind of has like a good vibe, right? And there's people working on their computer and other people talking, you know, you know Revelstoke Coffee or Brothers Cortado or whatever. Um, but that is not the kind of community people is, Peter is referring to here, as much as we all like that. Instead, what Peter kind of lays out is he kind of lays out that this community of faith, this family of faith, what he desires for this church to be right here, right now, too, is a church that's like family. We talk about being a family of missionary servant learners here at River of Grace. Sarah Beth just mentioned it in her announcements. In family in this time was, was like and really right now, was kind of the bedrock of society. He's saying, church, you are supposed to function like a family. And that if you and me are going to live in this world faithfully, if we're gonna live in an upside-down world in an upright manner, we're not gonna be able to do it alone. We are going to need one another. And he kind of gives guidance for how this church needs to function. And right from the beginning, he urges in verse 8, for us to have unity and sympathy. Unity and sympathy. Unity is such a nice thought, right? Like when you think about people being united, it's such a beautiful thought, a lofty ideal. But unity is really hard. And as I mentioned before, and as it's really easy to figure out, unity is something that's not really a prevailing value in our culture right now. Turn on Fox News, and turn on CNN. Go sit in the gallery at the state house and listen to people argue. Listen to news coverage. Anytime anything happens at all, and what you have is a lack of unity. You have dissension. You have discord. Go browse Facebook if you dare, and if you really want to see disharmony, go to Twitter and read the, or go to the comment section on any blog you're going to see division, and you're going to see bickering and arguing. In this past year, inside the broader church in America, we've seen more disunity too. We've seen disunity over politics. We've seen disunity over mass. We've seen disunity over vaccination status. We've seen disunity over all sorts of things, and I think all of us have probably heard that the story of like church meetings gone crazy over the color of the carpet, right? 
It's hard to be united. And it's hard to be sympathetic, right? But that's what Peter calls us to because if we're gonna, and if we're gonna have unity and if we're gonna have sympathy in our church, we're gonna need to follow Peter's other advice is, is that's to love one another. To love one another. Jesus summed up the whole law as loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. The church is supposed to be marked by a selfless love for one another and by pursuing unity with one another as people that have sympathy for each other. But then Peter says that not only that, not only are we supposed to be united and sympathetic, but we're also supposed to be humble and compassionate. We're not to be a calloused, hearted people. Supposed to be kind of tender people. After all, Paul said, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another. Supposed to be people that respond and reach out to others with compassion and humility. Now, humility is a virtue in our society in one sense. Like, people love humble people, right? But in this time that Peter is writing, this would have been completely countercultural, right? Humility was not a value in Greco-Roman society. Puffing yourself up was. But Peter is saying that the church isn't supposed to be like building each other up or building oneself up. It's supposed to build each other up because we follow a king who came to serve. And we followed a king who humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And this should come to us as both a reproof and an encouragement because, church, what, what we need from one another isn't our best Instagrammed self, right? I don't need to know how great your morning coffee was with your divas, necessarily. I hope you have great morning coffee divas, by the way. What I need from you is I need who you really are. I don't need you to show me how much better your life is. I don't need you to look down on me when I'm struggling with sin. I don't need you to practice judgment over me. I need you to have sympathy, be compassionate, and be humble as I go through my Christian life. And here's the thing. You need that from me. We need that as we live as exiles. If we're feeling suffering, if life is hard, we need people we can run to who are honest. Honest about their own sins. Honest about their own struggles. About where they fall short. People who will listen. Have compassion. Give some grace. You know why? Because everything out there is not like that. Everything is pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get your act together. How could that happen to you? It's condescension and judgment and not compassion and love. And here the church is supposed to be this community of faith that helps one another as we journey towards Jesus. And what's beautiful about this, friends, is that this is where one of these places where the Bible gets us. Because you and I, we have difficult jobs sometimes. We have, some of us have really demanding bosses. Some of us go to school and we get picked on or harassed by our friends. Some of us are trying to, what it looks like to navigate our careers as Christians, knowing that taking certain stands will cost us certain promotions. 
Some of us are battling aging and how hard that is. All of us are battling sin. And you ever need someone to talk to you about those things that isn't gonna just lob on judgment, that isn't gonna just put you down? The Bible knows, God knows. And he says, I've given you something. And that is the church. And Peter is instructing his, the people of God to act like it and to act differently. So friends, I would encourage you to be this kind of person. Be the kind of person that tries to practice humility and compassion and sympathy. Don't let your heart get calloused or cynical or jaded. But be the kind of person that others can run to. And whatever you do, friends, don't think that what we're after here at River of Grace or what Jesus was after in the church was this like kumbaya community of faith that all holds hands while we sing, we are the world, we are the children. Because the reason why Peter has to write this is because it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to pursue community. It's hard to practice compassion and sympathy sometimes. Unity is something that has to be fought for. Jesus, in John 17, prayed for it. And he said to the Father, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. So we pursue community. We pursue unity so that the world may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Next, second thing Peter encourages us to do is to endure kindly. Endure kindly. And in verse 10, Peter quotes Psalm 34, and he says, the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. And then later on, he says that, that God actually sees the righteous but doesn't respond to the prayers of the evil. You want to love life? I do. You want to see good days? That isn't found in putting yourself up. That isn't found in success. That isn't found in career. That's found in, in following after the God who sees. And then Peter goes on to say that we're supposed to be people who endure suffering kindly. And I think I'm summar summarizing what he's saying here in this section. But we need to interact with each other rightly, and then we need to interact with the world rightly. We do that by fearing God more than man. He says in verse 14, do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. There's Peter being honest again, right? You're going to receive struggles. You're going to have to endure trials. You're going to struggle with temptation, you're, people are going to persecute you, Christian, but don't fear them. Instead, 
Fear God. Fear God. Regard him as holy. Regard God as the one who is over all things. Remember who this is all going towards, and that is Jesus. And remember to submit your life to him. Don't worry about man. Don't fear. You don't have to fear. Why? Because because God is holy and he is Lord. You're going to receive persecution. And that because we know that Jesus is Lord, because we know where this is going, because we know that he is in control of everything, we can speak blessing. And and Peter is now taking the teachings of Jesus and he's applying them to the church. Because what did Jesus say in his famous sermon? He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then in Luke, Jesus would say that bless those who curse you and pray for those who despitefully use you or mistreat you. You see, Jesus was just was appealing to, for us to remember the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the peacemakers. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the persecuted. And here, Peter is saying that, hey, you have received a blessing. And the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. So we can speak blessing. We can respond kindly. We can endure kindly. If you're gonna persevere, if you're gonna live upright in an upside down world, you're gonna need to endure suffering, remembering that Jesus is Lord. So if you're suffering for your faith, press in to who Jesus is and his promises. We don't fear and then we speak hope. Verse 15, Peter says these famous words, be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We go from being a united community to being a people who speak kindly, who speak blessing where there is cursing. And there's almost an assumption built in that we're gonna have to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us because this is not natural. It's not natural to respond to curses with blessing. And all of us feel this. You ever get beeped at in the car, right? Like, what do you say, right? You, we respond. It's not easy to respond to cursing, and that was a honk, right? But we're called to be people ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us because that is going to shine through in our unity and in our speech. Gotta be ready to speak it. This is actually where we get the, the phrase apologetics from, uh, that give a defense, a reason defense, comes from the Greek word apologia. So, so as, we, as we live rightly in the world, as we suffer kindly as Christians, as we are united as a community, we're gonna have to give defense for what we believe. Display our hope, why we do this. And then lastly, we, 
not lastly, sorry, didn't mean to get your hopes up. Um, <laughs> living uprightly. Um, so we don't fear and we live upright. He calls us to, as we give a, a reason defense, as we give a, the reason for our hope, he says to do it with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Our position in the world, friends, is to bless and not curse because we are a blessed people. And even though people might curse us, the way that we live should put those words to shame. This is a hard word, I think. Like, I think it sounds really nice to our ears, but I think this is a super hard thing to live out. Because what Peter is encouraging, he's encouraging us to live in the world. He's, he's not saying, hey, go cloister yourselves off somewhere in, until this world passes. He's saying you're gonna have to live in the world. And to live in the world, you're gonna get persecuted. He said, and then when you live in the world and get persecuted, you don't get to retaliate. That's really hard. Sometimes I wanna fight for myself, justify myself, stand up to people. But Peter has a vision for the church that is encouraged by one another out in the world, blessing the persecuted and not being vindictive about it because we have a bigger king. Elizabeth Elliot says this. I think it's beautiful. She says, we want to avoid suffering, death, sin, ashes. But we live in a world crushed and broken and torn. A world God himself visited to redeem. We receive his poured out life and being allowed the high privilege of suffering with him may then pour ourselves out for others. We pour ourselves out from others. If you want to live rightly in the world, you need to follow faithfully. And this means suffering for the benefit of the lost. So we need to pursue community, endure kindly, and then finally remember Christ's victory. Peter buoys everything he just said about our community and about our suffering with the Savior's suffering. Look at verse 18. He said, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He says that we're going to endure suffering. Then he says, well, remember Jesus. He's the one who suffered for sins. He was actually completely just. And he suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust. And in case you're confused about who's who in that equation, Jesus is the just one and we're the unjust ones. And he suffered for us so that he might what? Bring us to God. And friends, if you need encouragement to keep going in your Christian life, if you need encouragement to, to persevere when life is hard or when struggling is real or persecution is at your door, you look at this and you say, well, I have a Savior who suffered so that I could have God. He brought us there. 
You don't just get spirituality. You don't just get to come to church. You don't just get morning devos. He brought you to God himself. You get him. Let that encourage you as we live out in the world. We remember our Savior who suffered for us. So in your sufferings, don't forget him. But remember the extent he went to for you. He brought you to God. You might suffer. We already have God. It doesn't make light of your suffering. It makes much of your God. And he suffered for you. So he understands what it is to suffer. So you have a Savior who, who sympathizes with you like we're supposed to sympathize with others. He sympathizes with us. And he suffered for us. But then Peter gets a little weird, right? I don't know if you caught it. He says, something. he says he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Okay, that makes sense. In which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. I still don't know what that means. Who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. But baptism, of course, bonds to this now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't want this to turn into a seminary class all of a sudden, so I'll try to briefly say what that means because it's bizarre, right? Like we go from this big, beautiful statement and now we're talking about Noah and Ark and visiting spirits in prison and it just gets kind of strange. So allow me to just quickly answer and if you want to dig in more, I can give you some books. First, who are these spirits? Well, there's a scholarly debate about this as surprise, right? What do you call 10 pastors in a room, 11 opinions? Um, but the majority of scholars seem to think that these are fallen angels. We learned about these back in February, if you remember in our Genesis series. But these are fallen angels who Jesus went and declared victory over them. Okay, that's that. Now, what about the stuff about Noah and baptism? Allow me to put it this way. God judged the people of Noah's day through water, right? And that water was the same thing God used to deliver others out, okay? Well, baptism is a picture of both judgment and deliverance because it's a picture of death to life. And what Peter is saying, that it's an appeal to God for a good conscience. Baptism is a picture of death to life, of a resurrection that we receive through the judgment that Jesus received and through the life that he gained, we now gain deliverance from sin because of what Jesus did. Okay, Don, that's great. Boil that all down for me. How does this change me for anything in Concord, New Hampshire right now? Well, Here's what I'll say. First, we remember Christ's victory, sure victory over sin. Our sin has been dealt with. It's been nailed to the cross. We have died with Christ and we've been raised to newness of life for those of us who have faith in him. Christ has defeated sin and he has authority over all things. And he is victorious over not only our sin, but over all evil 
everywhere, even the spirit world. And if that's weird, I don't know what to tell you, it's in the Bible. But Jesus has victory over all sin. And what Peter is kind of reminding us here is that like your suffering will end. Jesus gained the victory over Satan, sin, and death on that cross. And that he gets the last word. Jesus, or Peter, at the end of the passage, reminds us of Jesus' exaltation to the right hand of the Father with angels and authorities. He is reminding his, his listeners in this passage that Jesus won. He won. And that one day, he will do away with all sin and injustice and evil and persecutors. He has the victory not only over our sin, but only but over our enemies. It's a difficult thing to talk about final justice and judgment because we're not really supposed to want God's wrath for anyone. But nevertheless, Holy Scripture gives us a picture to, to weary Christians and reminds them that, hey, God will do away with sin and he will do away with persecution and to hope for that. If we wanna live rightly, we need to follow faithfully by pursuing communion, community, enduring suffering, remembering Christ's victory, So where does this leave us? Here's a few applications as we approach communion. If you're here today and you're suffering for your faith, this is an invitation to allow yourself to be seen by God and for God to speak to you in your sufferings. Maybe you feel ostracized because of your faith. Maybe you feel like you can't participate in things or your friends don't talk to you as much because you don't do certain things. Well, this is an invitation to come to the God who knows you, who sees your suffering, who paid for your suffering. It's an invitation to run to him, to take hope in that good news that Christ has won the victory. Perhaps you're just tired and hurting. Life has got you down, you're weary, and you're stressed. You can't bear the weight of what you're going through. Maybe you're dealing with sin. Maybe you're dealing with conflict of some some sort. Well, I want you in this text to hear the invitation to run to your suffering Savior who knows what it is to suffer. And then not just that, friends. If you're here and that's you, you need to know that The devil's, one of his best ways he likes to attack his people is to tell you that you are alone. You are alone in your sin. You are alone in your suffering. You are alone in your sorrow. Nobody will understand you. No one one else's sin like you have. No one else. um, Everyone's gonna judge you. That's what Satan does. And what he does is he constantly isolates you. And I want you to hear the invitation from this text to run to the people of God. To don't allow yourself to be isolated Because there's other truths from Scripture that say there's no temptation taking you but that which is common to man, right? And to run to God's people and to find people who can hold you in your suffering and help you towards Jesus.
We're meant to support one another as we await for hope, our hope to appear. Maybe you're here, you don't really feel tired. You don't really feel like you're suffering much. Maybe you just feel complacent. Like God doesn't really excite you. Like it's been a while since you've prayed. But I want you to to notice that God sees and hears the prayers of the righteous here. And I want you to encourage you to run back to God. See, Peter runs on the assumption that God sees everything. He sees your life. He sees the suffering, and he sees you in your complacency too. And the invitation is to, to take your faith seriously, to, to even if you don't feel it, to pursue the God who died for you, the just for the unjust. Let the truth of Christ warm your heart to his love again. And lastly, maybe you're lost. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't know God. I don't, this is new to me. I'm not sure. Well, can you talk to someone in here? would love to give a reason for the hope that is in us. Because Jesus died to save us and to bring us to God.